Hello and welcome to Mistakes Were Made with me, Alex Steger. And me, Frank Talbot. Look at that, just on it. It's, it's almost like you know it's coming, you know you have to say something and you say it. Well, look, w- welcome to the episode, everyone. I think this is our sort of, it, it's a celebrity edition, because today on the pod we have Anthony the Mooch Scaramucci. Just by way of a brief introduction, uh, Anthony, I think, is most famous or perhaps infamous for his time as Director of Communications uh, in the Trump administration in 2017, uh, a role in which he lasted just 10 days after giving a, a frankly outrageous quote to a journalist, a quote which I think we should say he maintains was, was off the record, something we touch on in the interview. Perhaps less famously, but this is the focus of, of our interview, he is the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a fund of hedge funds headquartered in New York City. Frank, the mooch, what do you make of him? Yeah, honestly, I, I really enjoyed this interview and uh, I was quite taken back by how emotionally intelligent he was. We'd never spoken, we'd never met. No, no, you know, and he quite quickly came in, read the room. He had uh, he had the bead on all of us. He called you out for being sly and conniving, which I think I, I stand by is slightly unfair. But um, he called you out for, um, and then this was unerringly accurate for for your uh, English. Um, how should we call this? Is your sort of the fact that you're sort of a member of the landed gentry, and you know, <laughs> I think that you can't really deny he was you know very candid, very honest about about things, and that was. I found quite refreshing um, writing about asset management. There's not tons of candor and honesty kicking around, so I, I thought that was great. Yeah, and that's and that's great for this show. You know, the name of the game is is mistakes were made, where we we grill people on their their biggest ever investment mistakes. Uh, and uh, he he is obviously an individual who has made mistakes, and he was quite happy to confront that head on. Before we get to our interview with Anthony, I should say that. The language is, yeah, you know, there's some swears. There's some, there's some of the big swears. There's some of the more alternative swears that you won't, you won't have heard that much uh, recently, but they're all in there. So, um, yeah, listener discretion is advised. We're going to start this as we always start these interviews by asking our, our guests about um, some of their biggest investment mistakes. And the point of this is not to shame people, but to try to sort of dig into what they learned from them. And at the end of it, you know, hopefully we're all slightly better investors for, for hearing about these things. So Anthony, I don't know if there are any that come to mind. I don't know if you've ever made any investment no, mistakes. No, I, I, I've never made any investment mistakes. My investment track record is a 45 degree straight angle up into infinity. I mean, come on. I have made so many investment mistakes, Alex, that I don't even know where to begin. I mean, there's phone books of investment mistakes, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a colossal one. I'm 27 years old. This is under the category of you think you know stuff that you do not know. Okay, so you are all of a sudden an expert in something. That you actually I'm very familiar with, yeah. Yeah, that you actually know nothing about. Okay, so I just want you to frame the 27-year-old version of me, uh, overconfident, uh, totally uh, believing my own BS, and I'm buying Centacore call options. Now, you never heard of the company, of course. Uh, it was a biotechnology company that was developing a therapy for sepsis. Okay, now, as you probably are aware, it's 30 years later, sepsis really still is a problem for hospitals in terms of treating that infectious blood disease. But Centacore had the guru 
sepsis drug, okay? And so I bought these call options and they got through the phase two trials. And so now all they had to do was get through phase three and then they were gonna have an stratospheric growth because this would have been like a total innovation, almost as innovative as like cholesterol medication or something that the two of you probably know a lot about, Viagra, as an example, okay? It would be that kind of exponential growth, okay? For the, for the listeners here, we're considerably younger than Anthony, but yeah. <laughs> so I, so I just throw it out there. I, I have to attack the younger generation, you know what I mean? I have, to, I have to establish my footing here. So there I am, okay? I put $10,000 into these options. I made 50. That was a lot of money for me. I had no money at the time, 100 plus thousand dollars of school debt. So now I rolled those options in a margin account because I was wildly overconfident that CenterCore was going to get the phase three clearance from the FDA. Do you think they got that clearance? They did not. And I blew a hole in myself like you could not believe because of the way the margin worked. Uh, I lost more than I had in the thing. And so Goldman Sachs, I'm working there. Uh, you know, I'm a two-year person there. The margin desk calls me. You have $25,000 of margin call. You have to wire $25,000 into this account by Friday. Okay, I went into a full-on panic, Alex and Frank. I didn't know what to do. So I went to my boss. I said, I have blown. Are you allowed to curse on this thing? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have blown my dick off in Centacore options. Okay, please help me. And my boss looked at me, you're an imbecile, okay? Learning lesson number one, you overconfident ignoramus. You knew nothing about that therapy. You're not even a fucking scientist. What are you doing? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you the $25,000 to meet the call, and we're gonna take it out of your pay weekly uh, until the end of the year. And that's exactly what they did, and it was a big, big learning lesson. I have others, but that was the colossal one, um, I was like almost, I, you know, thank God I kept my hair. I was almost losing my hair from that one. I mean, that was a really bad one. If you, I mean, this will sound sort of, you know, reductive to, to focus on, on, on what you learned. Was it what, was the key lesson that in investing in, in what you know? Was it about confidence? What sort of, what, were the, what was the biggest takeaway? Other yeah, than so it's, okay, if you want to be a great investor, you have to be humble. You also have to recognize that if the market is going directionally in a way away from your thesis, you have to really start double guessing and questioning yourself uh, because there is wisdom in the crowds. You know, sometimes people say there's madness in the crowds. Yes, there is madness in the crowds. They can get exuberant. They can get too depressed on the way down and too exuberant on the way up. But there is also... Uh, consensus building and people have lots of knowledge and there's levels of efficiency in the market that you have to pay close attention to. So you have to be humble. The second thing you have to be uh, aware of is your core competence, your circumference of knowledge. What is the core confidence? And you have to try to stay in that or expand it. Okay, so like on Bitcoin, for example, I was a Bitcoin skeptic three years of researching Bitcoin, talking to every person I knew, reading tons of books about it. I'm expanding my circumference of comprehension. So you'd have to expand the, the, the circle or stay inside the circle as an investor. Was good. And then I was going to ask you about, about Bitcoin yeah. on, on that point, because, you know, obviously, um, 
you, I think maybe I've got these numbers wrong, but I think you have to, you have about five percent of the of the fund in there, and you've obviously you launched your own fund end of last year. But you, you know, you've got the laser eyes on 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 yeah, Twitter. Look, you said it's done your homework. So I put I put five percent of the fund in, but you know it's twelve and a half percent of the fund now, as a result of uh, of price appreciation in Bitcoin and our Bitcoin fund, which we started in January. It's uh, almost three months old. Is over a hundred million dollars now. Uh, some of that is price appreciation. Some of that is new money that's coming in every every and week. What changed though? Because you know, you said you used to be a skeptic. You know, it wasn't yes. an area of knowledge. What what made was it just you know it wasn't just the price that got you excited. What what changed? No, no. If, if you know, it's weird. Weird thing about Bitcoin is I was more comfortable with Bitcoin at twenty five thousand dollars than I was at four hundred dollars, and I'll, I'll explain why. There's a network effect that's taking place. Technology's been with us since we created the stone flint that helped us create fire. That's a tool. What is technology? A tool. And so if it's Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Riverside FM, where you're, you're doing your podcast, these things are scalable uh, and they become, well, not infinitely scalable, but from a securities analytic perspective, more or less infinitely scalable. So when you step back and look at Metcalf's law, what did Professor Metcalf say? He said the network itself, if it's growing exponentially, then fundamentally there's value in that network. And so what got me comfortable, guys, is the scaling of Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin's now at 110 million users. It's on its way to a billion. Uh, when it gets to a billion users, those coins will be three, four hundred thousand dollars a coin. Uh, I don't think anything can stop Bitcoin at its current pace. And Bitcoin is the apex predator of cryptocurrencies. It has eaten the lunch of every single other crypto competitor. It's 60 to 70 percent of the market capitalization of the overall space, depending on the day and where the coins are bouncing. And you know, so that was number one. Is this thing scaling pursuant to Medcalf's law? Then number two, is this thing going to be regulated and is it going to be taxed by the government? Yeah, this is the big one, isn't it? The SEC just said that they're accepting the application of the Van Eck ETF, which means now they have 45 days to comment on it. Uh, Morgan Stanley yesterday said, you know, we're going into the Bitcoin space. Yeah, for- they, put three, they put three funds on the platform, didn't they? Yes. Uh, you've got three ETFs in Canada. The Canadian regulators said, well, you know what? People are going to own this stuff. Let's regulate it as opposed to ignore it. So the three things for me, guys, was the scalability of the network, regulation. The third thing, likely the most important thing for me, storage. I've got to be confident that where I'm storing my coins, uh, I'm going to be able to keep them. I own them. Uh, the, where I store them at NIDIG or Fidelity, they have huge facilities. They've got huge backup facilities, and they've got layers of insurance from Lloyd's of London, uh, something that Frank knows about because his estates in the UK are insured yeah, by Lloyd. He founded Lloyd. that. Yes, of course, he probably did. He's probably, yeah. he's probably the original founder. He's a sheep market, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at Frank's face. I can see the portraits of his ancestors from the 1200s. They probably founded it's Lloyd's London. of London. So Frank can tell me about Lloyd's of London's balance sheet. But my storage is super important to me and super important to our company. So those three things, I said, okay, this is here to stay. Uh, 
and I got to get my clients in it before the avalanche of institutional demand comes in. And so we, we, we really started making these investments in October of last year, 10-ish thousand a coin, launched our fund product at 16,500. And you know, you see where we are now, but I, I, I really do believe that this is going higher. So you're, you're, you're clearly an advocate of, of Bitcoin, so you don't think people are making mistakes there. Out in the market today, where do you think people are making mistakes? You know, lessons that you've learned in your time and you think actually you could be doing that a lot better. Well, here's the thing I'm worried about. There is so much money flowing into the market that you can confuse brains with a bull market. So if I step into the market as an individual investor and I just start buying this market uh, and this market goes higher, I'm now reinforcing in my own mind my intelligence. Do you see what I mean? And so mistakes that are being made, in my opinion, are being born from the uh, excess liquidity. And the point is what happens in the world of investing, people see patterns and they see connectivity into those patterns that may or may not be true. And so you could have a rising tide uh, reinforcing your IQ and your intelligence. And then the flip side is if that tide goes out, uh, as the old proverb is, you can see who's swimming half naked when the tide goes out. You get, you get a catch for who's half naked. So I always caution people, be a good fundamental investor. I'm a seven percenter. What do I mean by that? I've looked at an actuarial chart uh, uh, since that day that I blew myself up on Senecor. I said, how am I going to get wealthy? Well, the way I'm going to get wealthy is I'm going to put money away every month of my paycheck. And I would like to get a 7% return on that money year in and year out. Now, some years are better than that. Some years are worse than that. But if I can get a 7% return on that money, the rule of 72, uh, that money should double every 10 years. So, so call it a 7.2% return. Um, and so if you stop and think about it that way, you will have really good long-term returns. If you're trying to shoot the moon and you're trying to buy the latest unicorn, okay, you're going to have sh shitty returns. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Definitely. If if we could, for a moment, a lot of our a lot of our well, readers of, of of the website, listeners to this are um, fund selectors. So for a living, they're you know um, doing research on you know mutual funds, ETFs, etc. And obviously, to a point, Anthony, you do that with you know. On, on, the, on the hedge fund side of things and just interested to kind of get your take on uh, your, not, not your whole process, that, that's maybe uh, a, a little dull for, 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 for a snappy podcast, but I'm interested to know kind of uh, the, the key things you look for, what, what, you know, when investing in a manager, you know, is it very important to you to know that manager? I think particularly in the alternative space where, you know, uh, it can be a bit more opaque than, than the traditional long only space. You don't know everything that's inside the fund and we obviously touched on the importance of knowing what you're investing in. Just kind of interested to hear how you avoid, basically how you avoid, you know, mistakes when, when, when selecting funds. So it's, it's excellent, excellent question. So I would, you got to think like Simon Cowell. Okay. He's sitting there at the, uh, the podium. He's trying to identify who has the X factor. So the X factor is Skybridge's fund is getting its doors blown off in March of 2020, we're down 24% as a result of the crisis. 
do we or do we not have the X factor? What is the X factor? Can we adapt, pivot to the situation, recognize what we own that is fundamentally cheap, recognize that what we own, that uh, the world has now changed, we're going into a pandemic, and then when we come out of it, we'll be in a post-pandemic. The, the stuff that we own, is it viable in that environment? So, so the X factor is, is the human being a human Swiss army knife? Can they pull out the tool necessary at the moment to help themselves and their investors? So to me, it isn't just the hard data, the sharp ratio, the beta, the portfolio construction. It is what happens to the person. As Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face. So what happens to that person when they're knocked to the canvas flat out and they got to get up off the campus and get back in the rink. Okay, and to me, that's what I'm looking for, always looking for that, and obviously looking for that in my own team. And so what I would say to you guys, and I would say to new money managers out there, even older money managers out there, um, burn the boats. You gotta burn the boats, okay? It is, there is no going back. You know, what do you mean by burn the boats, you, you, sorry? Okay, so that's a metaphor you see, he may not be ancestral tied back to England as much as we think, Alex, you and I, right? <laughs> so when they were colonizing North America, some this of the, the tea ship, party thing. Yeah, some of the ship captains would set the boats on fire. So they arrived in the New World and they said, okay, MFers, you're not going back. They'd set the boat on fire. Okay, so the metaphor of burning the boats is that there's no going back and that you must go forward and you must figure it out and survive. And so I'm always, always, always looking for that. So we're looking and, for managers who, who, can, who can handle the, the, the bad times. Yes, 100%. But also, um, you know, you got to own your mistakes in life. You know, when I got my ass fired from the White House, why did I get fired from the White House? Because I did something ridiculously stupid. What was that? Although it was fucking funny, by the way. What I said about Steve Bannon was funny. It's, you know, yeah, it's a funny quote, of course, right? he couldn't do that because, I mean, he would have to have done hot yoga for 25 years. And you can't have a beach ball tummy and anatomically do what I was suggesting. Okay, but... For, for, for readers, just, oh, sorry, for listeners who aren't aware of this quote, I, the best, just Google it, I think. is. is, is yeah, yeah, I think you should probably Google it. It's probably even inappropriate for your tawdry podcast, but... But, you know, look, I said something off the record in my mind and off the cuff to somebody I liked and trusted. That's my mistake. I own that. He took the recording of that. He ran over to CNBC or, sorry, CNN with it, and I got my ass fired. You follow, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you, I mean, on that, on that thing, do you regret anything about that time? Do you regret taking the job or, uh, or, or the nature of how you left the job? Do you, I mean, you talk about owning your mistakes. Do you, do you, do you have, no, no, do you have listen, regrets? I don't regret, I don't regret taking the job because you want to talk about mistakes. That was a colossal one. It was also very humbling. Um, if you guys think you're having a bad day, I want you to picture me on July 31st, 2017, getting fired from the white house, blown into Pennsylvania Avenue, like a James Bond villain. Uh, rolled in broken glass by the late night comedians. And then my wife was filing for divorce on me at the same time. So I was having a bad day. So what, what I would say to you is that was incredibly humbling and it was incredibly revealing about life. 
And it's apropos to investing because I owned the mistake. I never blamed it on anybody else. I didn't go like this with my hands. It's that person's fault and this person's fault. No, no, I made the mistake. I got fired, never blamed anybody. Incidentally, I became very close friends with John Kelly, the White House Chief of Staff, who fired me. We I saw traveled. he was on. He was at Salt last, oh, 2019, yeah, the last time yeah, he did yeah, it, right? we've we traveled the country together. We've done, speech, we've done like seven speeches so far together on stage, and we have a very good relationship. Uh, but here, here's the thing I would say about that. I don't regret it because it was transformative. And I think this is something important as you guys talk about mistakes. Mistakes are a guidance mechanism for your personality. They can be transformative. We are sometimes very worried about making mistakes, and so we take less risk. And we're sometimes worried about what other people think of us, so then therefore we decide not to do certain things. But let me tell you a couple of things as you get older. Number one, no one's thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And what other people think of you is none of your business. So stop thinking about what they think of you. Who cares? Number two, take the risk. And when you get burned or you make the mistake, absorb it, learn from it, be accountable, uh, be versatile, be pliable. You know, those are the things I look for in a manager. Someone says to me they've never made a mistake or they've never had any failure. I'm running from the, you know, for the woods. Yeah, big red flag. You know, can I bring up something very quickly? Of course, yeah. It's 1998. I am long a collection of securities, and I don't see the Thai bot devaluing, which trips into the Russian ruble. And this is at a time where prior to Putin's rise in Russia, I mean, he's the deputy something or other, but he's you know, you're still dealing with... He's behind the scenes, but he's you've still yeah, dealing with uh, President Yeltsin, and there's this transitory thing happening in Russia, and they start defaulting on their sovereign debt. And you guys could go back. It's August of 1998. At the same time, we're having Bill Clinton's scandal with Monica Lewinsky. I'm 34 years old, and I'm irresponsibly long some securities, and I miss this convergence of these events that are going to cause a 15 to 20% drop in these securities. And so in the month of August, I got hit very hard, not as hard as Centicor, like where I lost everything plus some, um, but I was down about 20% in a month. And it was a very, very painful situation. But the reason I'm bringing it up is that we made some adaptions, made the money back, um, and I made a decision that I would never have that much leverage on ever again. And of course, that helped me in a way that you can't possibly imagine in 2008, because however bad 1998 was, it was a dress rehearsal for 2008. And so I was able to get through 2008 okay. And then if you thought 2008 was bad, March of 2020 was as bad, okay, and in some ways more impactful, the long-term effects of the economy. And so so I was also, you know, I was down 20, but I was in good stuff. And so, you know, we're up 45 from the bottom if you just held on to what we had. And of course, you could hold it if you didn't have any leverage. Remember, this is another big lesson for your podcast listeners. Leverage is a spear. It is a samurai uh, taped to your steering wheel of your sports car. 
and you're driving on a tight, narrow mountain road, and that road is in the winter and it's icy. And the minute you hit the goddamn brakes, that leverage is coming right through your chest. Okay, that's the spear, metaphorically. You got to think like that. Don't run your life leveraged. Uh, if you run your life on good fundamentals and investing for the long pull, uh, when something like March of 2020 happens, I go down. People can get mad temporarily. This is another big ac axiomatic fact, uh, guys. Everybody is a long-term investor until they have short-term losses. On, the, on that March 2020, because obviously there was a bit of because uh, there was a, there was a couple of stories in, in the news after that on uh, a couple of you know Maryland City and so some of the big warehouses. Uh, I don't know if cutting ties or put, putting a sell recommendation on the. No, front I mean they, cutting ties. They sell, uh, uh, we got sold out by City and Merrill Lynch. Now sold out means their due diligence department said sell Skybridge. Okay, their performance stunk up the place, sell Skybridge. Now, the good news is the private bankers there that use Skybridge, some of them are close personal friends, they elected not to listen to that advice and held Skybridge. Uh, and they were rewarded for that. And so, you know, we went up 45% from the bottom. Uh, we're well through that high water mark, and we're having a great year this year. We're probably up 13% this year, and the markets have been choppy. So, so. What's the message there? The message is stay long-term. Now, we should have never dropped that deeply in March. I don't blame Merrill Lynch or Citibank for selling us out. You know, it's up to us not to have bad performance like that. But I was set up for a growing economy and I got it wrong. I didn't believe that the pandemic was gonna have this level of impact globally. I thought it was more like SARS or MERS when I had those investment bets on, and I got caught last March. And so again, you could add that to the phone books of mistakes that I have, but the point being is, think of the progression intellectually. I was in a position in March of 2020 without any leverage on, where I just called my clients and said, look, this stuff is dirt cheap. You should be buying it as opposed to selling it. Now, thankfully, Merrill sold us out, so did City, but I was successful. Our team was successful in raising six, $700 million at the bottom. And so that, that money's done very well, and our revenues are now back through where they were in 2020. So lots of lessons there. But you know, here's the funny thing about the press. We got destroyed last year. They wrote five obituaries of Skybridge. We're doing great right now. Have you seen any press related to our recovery? I'm just asking for uh, my 50 employees and my friends. Have you seen any yeah, press? Alex is, oh. Alex is press, so he's, he, pressed. Can, he can help. Do you know what? Well, I was looking. I was, you, yeah, I mean, most of the press this year about you is, 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 is Bitcoin related. Yeah, so I mean, um, but well, yeah. It's this, Bitcoin this related press. because, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an asset class that people are really trying to adapt to. I've made the decision that we're long it. I don't want to be uh, a Bitcoin evangelist. I don't think Jesus and Moses had a baby and it happened to be Bitcoin. That's not me. Okay, I'm a Bitcoin investor. I'm not a Bitcoin evangelist. Back on um, sort of you know how you you know pick managers, pick, pick funds for the fund. Um, I think it's fair to say you have a a, a bigish personality yourself. You know, is that I don't know if you you're okay with that description. Do you do you, do you like other do you like managers who 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 equally are quite sort of you know out there or, or do you you know is is that a good thing? Do you, do you look for people who are who are similar to you, or does, does does their personality mean nothing to you? It's all about kind of how they run the the fund and things. Well, you see, 
you are so British. I mean, it was a really clever, passive aggressive. Is that passive aggressive? I think that was. Yeah, because you basically let me let me fucking translate that for the Americans, okay? You are basically a bombastic, sometimes loudmouth, opinionated dickweed, and I'm I wondering. Would never that, say dickweed. Okay, okay, I'm wondering if that helps or hurts you in your investing prowess, and isn't it probably better? that just have people that are super studious at running money and are lower key. Is that no, what I heard? I think, I Frank, Frank I you, be the, you be the judge here. You be the judge. Is that what I heard? I, I Frank? think, I think I, Alex, Alex can be a bit mean. He's clever. Yeah, it was very clever. It was like very surgical. Okay. I, I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding out here. On the do you know, I'm taking the compliment. I'm taking the your clever compliment out of babe, this. That, that's babe, can you cauterize my leg? I mean, the blood is pouring everywhere here on the floor. The, the British kid just sliced me. So let me answer the question, okay? Yes, I don't give a shit if the guy's high profile or not. That doesn't bother me. I'm high profile because I am a uh, sales guy. I started as a sales guy. I'm not a money manager per se. I have a team running the money. I have a team dedicated to risk management. I have a team dedicated to compliance. You know, I am a organizer. I am a team player. And I'm a guy that can get a team motivated to work together. And I can also create an experience for people like I do at the SALT conference. A result of which you can't put into somebody what God left out, but you also can't take out of somebody what God put in. And so that's me. And so I would rather be with people that are super authentic. They wear everything on their sleeve. They're not trying to play games with you. Uh, and whether they're loud mouths or quiet and introverted, it doesn't matter to me. It's the results. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, so that makes sense. It was a fucking great question, though, Alex. And I love the way you like, you know, it was like I was getting sliced with like a Ginsu wow. knife. I, this, yeah, you've, you've attributed way too much um, thought really to my good. opinion. Really good. Okay, you got other questions. Hey, two more questions. Yeah, two more. Well, these, these are your gimmies. Okay, so we've talked a lot about your mistakes. Um, and we always give our guests the opportunity to, to, to you know, to, to offset that with a brag. You know, um, so I wanted to ask you, you know. Not very, a humble brag, like a brag brag, right? Full on brag, Anthony. Your choice. So, you know, yeah. best, best investment decision so that you've made. I am the fucking best bullshit artist in the world, okay, because... My wife, the fact that she can put up with my ass, okay, and I was able to convince her to marry me, and we got through that period of time where we almost got divorced, okay, that is my brag brag, okay, and you want to talk about investing, uh, don't forget this about your life, it is the human capital that is infinitely more important than the physical or the monetary capital, and if you have really good people around you, they're going to make you a better person. And so I'm, I'm not humble bragging, I'm bragging, bragging. I have so outkicked my coverage, to use an American football ex expression, or I've so outtraded myself in terms of what I got in my wife that uh, I'm not humble bragging, I'm bragging, bragging. Salt's coming back in September, uh, having obviously not been around last year um, in New York. Um, yeah, you know, your confidence is going to happen. September's going to be good to go you're going to get the you know the same it's same really same old soul back again do, do you think it's too so early I'm do you think it's the right time okay come on in here babe i just gave yes. you a big humble brag okay so oh. they said the brag, brag? no they said the brag i said to them 
that my best accomplishment thus far is convincing your ass to marry my ass. Okay, that was my best accomplishment. And deliver coffee and papers. Yeah, I'm getting coffee and papers right now, too. You see that? Okay. Yeah, we see Excellent. that, yeah. Right? For the listeners. All right, I'm going to get, you know. Uh, yeah. He's a good salesman. Let's just put it Good salesman. Way. See? I told you. He did you, say see? that. He did say that, yeah. yeah. Amazing salesman. See that? Thanks, babe. All right. See, it was very well timed. Nice you guys, you guys. You guys thought I choreographed that, right? But it was like very well timed. Okay, so, so, so the SALT conference, I'm taking a risk there. I don't know if we're going to be able to do the conference or not. And uh, But I've got the date. I've got the New York State and city working with me. Um, and we've got the Javits Center, which is a state-owned uh, convention center. They've got their VIP area set up for us. We believe, based on vaccination rates, and we believe based on the curve of the pandemic, that we will be able to have a hybrid conference. That means we'll have people live and we'll have people streaming, and we'll probably have a vaccination requirement. I'm looking into the legality of that and so forth, and we'll probably have a COVID-19 testing requirement, and we'll have things that are socially distant, and it will be a less populated conference than uh, uh, prior conferences for the obvious health and safety reasons. But Alex, here's the thing. Now talk about a mistake, right? Let's say I can't pull it off. Let's say that the virus is out of control or there's new variants of the virus. I've lost my deposit um, and I'll have some egg on my face and some reporter will say, oh, this idiot you know, tried to have the SALT conference in September, he couldn't get it done. Um, so what? You can add that to my phone book of mistakes, but at least I'm taking the risk and I'm trying to, you know, force the envelope. And also I love my city and I want to see the city revive. And so we moved it from Vegas to New York City for that reason. And it may happen, it may not. But if it doesn't happen, I'll take my lumps. And I think that's my point to your podcast listeners. Expand your portfolio. Be willing to take risks. Be willing to take your lumps, and then you can go on your amazing podcast and talk about what a dickweed you are, okay? And you can just say it flat out, I'm a dickweed, as opposed to the British podcast host surgically slicing and dicing. It's fine. Brilliant. Well, look, that was our interview with Anthony Scaramucci. Frank, what, a, what, what did you take from it? I mean, there was, there was a lot that one could take from it, I think. Yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still calming down from the whole thing. Uh, I yeah, like I said at the beginning, I I really enjoyed it, uh, and and some of the lessons that that he had to to bear to bring to us were, you know, not wholly surprising either. I think we touched on something in our introduction, which was you know Anthony's um, emotional intelligence, his ability to to read the room and quickly pick up on some of our personality traits, and I think it was interesting to hear. Uh, to get that from him because you know obviously day to day he does he does a certain amount of that he goes and meets investors and decides you know whether to you know put billions of dollars with them as you know in his role at Skybridge and I imagine even though when I asked him this he kind of spent most of his answer mocking me uh, I imagine that must be quite a useful skill if you are evaluating managers having that level of emotional intelligence to say ah this guy this is what he's like must must be useful yeah, absolutely. As you said, like, you know, he was he was certainly on the ball and in, in the area he operates in alternatives. It's so opaque that lots of it does come down to trust. You can't really see what these managers are actually doing on a day to day basis. So his ability to to be able to call 
the BS potentially, which I'm sure he'd happily call, um, is 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 surely a skill. Yeah, although I mean, again, actually, just to just to bring us back to episode one, if you haven't listened, you should probably listen at this point. You know, Daniel said, don't don't bother meeting the managers; you'll learn nothing. So I imagine, despite him and Anthony again having some commonalities in the lessons they learned, I think they'll probably take a different thing there. I, I imagine Anthony is one of those investors who 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 likes to see the whites of people's eyes, who does want to know the cut of their jib, and uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if it's on. You know, without knowing every fund in there and how they performed and when he met them, it's you know one can't assess his his actual skill set there. But uh, but I would think it's probably quite core, and I would think it's a useful ability to have when picking managers. I would stand by that. So the big question is, would you put your money with Scaramucci? I think the big question is what what are the minimums? Because I would say I'm <laughs> probably quite a long way off having the option. Of course, Frank. I mean, you could just sell off a couple of fields and, and buy half the fund. I imagine. <laughs> How big do you think these fields are? I don't know. Anthony seems to think that you own about a quarter of England. So, yeah, as he only met us for five minutes, so and already, already he figured it all, figured it all out. Um, I think another key thing that we took from that is he is obviously someone who does take his mistakes as he says owns them and seems to use them to his advantage. I mean, if we look at his most high-profile mistake, um, getting getting fired from the White House after ten days. Um, He's bounced back. Uh, he's obviously owned that mistake, as he said. He seems to have seems to have used it to his benefit. He, I, th- um, I think, he has a higher profile today than he probably did going into that job. I'm sure the conference that he runs and his other businesses have benefited from from that reputation. Albeit, you know, um, at the time it probably didn't. You know, that, that ten days that he was talking about afterwards probably didn't feel like that was going to be a, a positive for him. He seems to seems to have learned from it. Yeah, it can't, it can't. It can't have been easy being sort of marched out onto Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, by I assume what must be Secret Service, and uh, and asked to leave the building. You know, that that's got to be a pretty humbling experience. But he was always of the mind, as he said, take risks. Without taking the risk, you don't know uh, what you might learn from it. So we can through him. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, there you go, Anthony, man who'll take more risks than you ever will. Uh, but we'll take the lessons. Um, so yeah, that was our interview with Anthony. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And it is goodbye from me, Alex Steger. And goodbye from me, Frank Talbot. Mm-hmm.